0: This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening.
1: Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources, and I'm here today with Jennifer Mason. She's from the Fort Hamilton Hospital, she's an EMS coordinator, and the founder of Fort's Opiate Recovery Task Force and its Golden Ticket Program, which is targeted at addicts who come into the hospital's ER for treatment of an overdose. Jennifer, welcome. Thank you. Since 2008, you and your staff have been working to respond to the opioid epidemic in Butler County, Ohio. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've seen?
2: Well, I was with City of Hamilton Fire Department in 2008, and that was when I actually found out that my son was struggling um, with addiction when I got a call at 3 in the morning that he was in the emergency room with a non-breathing opiate overdose. Um, we suspected he might be dabbling in some things, but never anything uh quite like that, and I didn't even realize the real seriousness of it um at that at that time because in no way um, the roof hadn't been blown off yet with this this epidemic, so the information wasn't out there then
1: so since that time, you've gotten very involved in your community
2: i have so I retired from City of Hamilton Fire Department in 2014 and took a position with Fort Hamilton Hospital, which is part of Kettering Health Network, um, late 2013. So there's kind of a crossover. Uh, So when I started here, I heard about a program that Coleraine Township was putting together, that included a recovery resource packet, and I thought what an awesome idea that was, because back in o eight um I certainly could have have used that. Let me clarify that my son did not pass away at that time he was he was revived and and is alive today, even though we've had subsequent overdoses since then so being in the hospital arena, I thought this would be a great opportunity to maybe put together a recovery resource packet for our county. Chlorine Township is in Hamilton County. Fort Hamilton Hospital is in Butler County. Supply those to fire, EMS, and law enforcement.
1: Share with our listeners what the recovery resource packet is all about.
2: It identifies resources for the addict where they can go for recovery. Ours also Describes what addiction is, what maybe just happened to them with Narcan. We explain what Narcan does. Um, and it's more has more of a hometown feel for us, for our area. And again, we supply those for fire, EMS, and law enforcement.
1: Take us into the Golden Ticket Program.
2: I put together a meeting for all the players that might have an interest in doing something with opiate addiction in our area, including recovery, fire, EMS, law enforcement, attorney general's office, prosecutor, sheriff's office, just anybody that might want to be involved, and actually everybody came. So we put together the packet, and we talked about how could we do outreach like Coleraine Township does. So our outreach, which is our golden ticket program, is hospital-based, and basically what happens is when an overdose comes into our emergency room, we talk to them while they're here, and if we identify them wanting treatment, then we we will visit them outside of the hospital arena with um, a social worker or counselor chemical dependency counselor, and get them into treatment, try to segue them, get them assessed and segue them into treatment.
1: So your team goes to their address, and the team consists of a social worker. Who else?
2: Um, Well, the social worker is key. Law enforcement is key for the security of the team. We also take referrals from law enforcement as well. So it might not have been someone that specifically came into Fort Hamilton, they may have come into any other hospital, but law enforcement has identified them as a person in their community that, that might need help because they're trying to minimize recidivism within their forces as well. So it would be law enforcement, a chemical dependency counselor, someone from our hospital that coordinates it and puts it together, which is usually me, Sometimes our chaplain goes, because Kettering Health Network is a faith-based hospital network, and sometimes our hospital pharmacists will go, because we do prescribe Narcan or Naloxone in our emergency room for the addict or their family. And if that has occurred, then our pharmacist may go to do that training for the family.
1: Okay. So how long did it take to get this program up and rolling? Jennifer?
2: Um, It's still kind of morphing into different things. Um, So probably about April of 2015, we started talking, um, got the packet together probably within a month. I would think within six to eight weeks, we had them printed up and we started the recovery resource packet and started distributing them to our local agencies. Now, the outreach started maybe eight to 10 weeks after that, so several months, because people's calendars are full. So once we decided we were we were gonna go out on a Thursday every six weeks, then people could populate their calendar that this was what we were going to do. Um, and then recently, our Butler County coroner gave a presentation on the death rates in Butler County our uh, Chief Craig Bukite, our Hamilton police chief, called and asked, what can we do? He wanted to ramp up our outreach, so now we go out every
1: Thursday. How many people uh, have you done the outreach program with over the course of the past year? Any idea?
2: So it started out very slow. I used to call and try to schedule an appointment, so if if someone overdosed, And then we were going out every six weeks. It could potentially be almost six weeks after their overdose before we saw them. So they were getting hard to find. Um, They weren't wanting help as much um, that far away from the overdose. Studies have shown that if they can get into treatment within 48 to 72 hours of the overdose, that it proves to be more successful. So since we've moved it to a weekly, we we actually make more contacts. So we... We potentially had, um, it's right around 90 that we have actual contact with, and then our outreach is at approximately 30 that we've gone to their home, connected with them with an attempt to try to get them to recovery. So now our model is we just show up. We don't even announce. We get their name from wherever it comes from, whether it be an overdose in the ER through Hamilton Municipal Court, through Hamilton Police. Um, We get an address and now we just show up. So law enforcement becomes an even more important component um, because we don't know what we're walking into. Um, We've also uh, done outreach to prostitution rings. Um, We did a prostitution sting with Hamilton Police where they went out and brought them in um, and we saw four girls that day working on getting them getting them some beds in uh place down in Cincinnati. And uh now we just go to some local motels that rent by the hour and things like that. And um we're having actually more success with this impromptu show up, hey, do you want help kind of model uh than we did before.
1: So but it's based upon people that you know of that have overdosed recently in the past forty two to or 48 to 72 hours?
2: That is part of the model, and that was the original intention of the model. And we still maintain that, but we've also added, um, you know, nowadays when people are overdosing, they're dying. The It's not necessarily heroin that they're on. The, the fentanyl, which is considerably stronger, is out there, and the carved fentanyl, which has been within our area, which is an elephant tranquilizer. And um, the amount of that drug the size of a sugar grain can actually kill you. So waiting for them to overdose um, might be too late for some. So we are still doing that model, but now we're also trying to get them before they overdose and giving them the education about how dangerous the product is on the street, more so than it has ever been.
1: Okay. And the numbers there, you said you contacted 90 people um, and 30 of them actually came into the program. How did that work?
2: Um, We've actually gone to, right, I don't have my numbers in front of me, approximately 30 houses or made that face-to-face outside of the emergency room where our team has congregated and actually talk to people. And probably 50% of those have, have gone into treatment of some type. Whether they stayed, we don't have that follow-up totally figured out yet because of the, the privacy laws and being able to get that data.
1: Yeah. Okay. And so what about the wait time? To getting them into treatment? I assume that you've um, got the same shortage of beds that uh, all communities, it seems, has right now.
2: We do. We, we are experiencing that. Um, we call around uh, and try to find a bed for those that residential treatment will work out best for them. And somehow we've managed to get people into residential within, within a few days. Um, But now with medicine-assisted treatment and intense outpatient treatment or intense outpatient programming, that works well for those that are functioning within their addiction. We can still treat them. They can still keep their job, not be separated, uh, you know, from their family that they're trying to care for. Um, So not everyone needs residential. There's other options out there, but we do have waiting lists within our area as well. But we don't necessarily stick them in a Butler County facility. If there's some place that has an open bed in Dayton or Cincinnati and they're willing to take them, we'll partner with them and get them in there.
1: What about the costs associated with this? Is all of the costs, you know, borne by the addict um, or their insurance company or... Do you you somehow get some of this covered?
2: Well, great question, because they can't keep their doors open if they don't have some sort of funding. So we do help them through our chemical dependency counselor. He has some benefits specialists that can assist with getting them benefits through the Affordable Care Act. Uh, And most uh, recovery places will accept that there are a few that that won't there are some that are cash only there are some that will take medicare um, we did have a gal that uh, was in a severe car accident and i mean very severe she's lucky to be alive um, and was on opiates for pain management for a considerable amount of time and her physician quit prescribing them to her but not realizing that she was addicted and it actually forced her to, out to the street to actually buy buy heroin, and she overdosed, and that's how she landed on our door on our doorstep, but she had Medicare because um of the accident that she had, so she actually qualified for a facility that typically our other clients we hadn't been able to use because they don't take Medicaid but they do take Medicare.
1: Can you tell us just a little bit about the hurdles that you encountered in setting up this program, Jennifer?
2: The main hurdle initially was our outreach was so far apart that we couldn't make that connection when maybe we could have helped that had we gotten to them sooner. So we we stick to that strict, you know, once a week outreach and, you know, gather our names and then go out on that Thursday. That's a hurdle. Um, data collection after they get into treatment is a hurdle of ours that that's our next thing that we're working on. Um, cause, you know, if, if what we're doing isn't working, then we, we don't want to waste our time. We'd rather put our time into, into other things. So sure. patient privacy is a hurdle. Um, certainly finding people is not a hurdle. We just will roam the street. Um, and we'll find people.
1: Yeah, sadly so. So what else should our listeners know about Fort's plans to address the opioid epidemic in your community?
2: Well, we did um, a community health needs assessment and working with public health uh, to define in our community what our health needs are and you know, outside of diabetes and obesity and things like that, we came to the conclusion that mental health and substance abuse was on the top of our list. So we chose three programs, and one of them, um, what were we going to do for the mental health and substance abuse issue, and we're now looking at uh, potentially doing syringe exchange because we're on the brink of a real public health epidemic with hepatitis C, potentially AIDS. Um, public health has gotten involved in some local areas and, and kept that under control. But with the sharing of needles, you know, that, that's a big, big health issue as well. So we're talking to our public health folks, partnering with them and and looking at getting that within our community as well.
1: That certainly is a big issue. And we've uh, we... Had a chance to meet actually and ride for half a day on the uh, the needle exchange truck in Cuyahoga County, and they oh. they've run a needle exchange program for many years, and it's a very very successful program because the people that run that truck are quite connected to the you know their their community and the users out there in their community their addicts. And they've got great relationships with them. Um, and it's been successful in eliminating a lot of the disease, Hep C and AIDS in particular. Um, and it's also been successful in terms of sharing. The, the, the addicts know that there's information uh, available to them. They know that they've got a resource and a friend there for the time. And hopefully there will come a time when they want to go get treatment. They'll know exactly where to go. And right. the needle exchange is, is, is really instrumental in providing all of that to them. So it's pretty good. Right.
2: It's not it's not just about handing out needles. They have to bring a needle so potentially you're they're not discarding them in parks or public places and it gives you the opportunity to interact with them and and, you know, maybe get some recovery going there or health care for the pregnant addict or There's all sorts of opportunity with a needle exchange program.
1: Absolutely. So, Jennifer, anything else that you'd like to share with other communities that would like to implement a similar program to your Golden Ticket program that uh, you've successfully implemented in Butler County?
2: Well, State of Ohio has, you know, lots of grassroots opportunities or programs Popping up because each region is different, but yet we're all the same because addiction is the same, um, you know, wherever you go. And I, I would encourage anyone to, to get involved. This, this model isn't necessarily too hard to, to form something after, um, if you wanted to do that. But um, I'm sure the attorney general's office could give someone ideas. But you know. It, it takes a community, a multi-discipline approach um, to, you know, to solve this problem.
1: And you've certainly done your part in, in your community. So congratulations on, uh, and I wish you continued success with your golden ticket program that you've uh, begun in uh, in your community.
2: Well, thank you so much.
1: Okay. We've been visiting today with Jennifer Mason. She is from Fort Hamilton Hospital, an EMS coordinator and the founder of Fort's Opiate Recovery Task Force, as well as its Golden Ticket program. I'm Greg McNeil, founder of Cover Two Resources. Thank you for joining us today for this podcast.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover Two Resources podcast.